David is running for his very life. His enemies are hot on his trail. They're in pursuit of him. They want to hurt him physically, but more so they want to kill him. And the twist in this story is that his own people, the people that he rules, are the ones that want to hurt him, want to kill him. But the story gets worse as we find out it's David's son who's leading the revolt against his father. King David's son, Absalom, is desperate to be king himself. He allows pride and envy to rule his heart to the point that he's willing to betray his own father. This is a situation David is in when he pens, when he writes Psalm 3. What a heartbreaking psalm where son betrays father to the point that he wants to take everything away from him, including his kingdom. So open your Bibles to Psalm 3 this morning, and we're going to start in verses 1 and 2. Psalm 3, verses 1 and 2. And as we begin, let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we're in awe of you. Father, we ask that our praise, our worship, and song is honoring to you, Father. I pray, Father, that you help our lives to be honoring to you, that we live differently than the world, Father, that we that are married live to honor you. If we're single, Father, I ask that you help us to live to honor you. If we're retired, Father, I ask that you help us to live to honor you. Help us to be empowered by your Spirit to walk in your truth, in your holiness, in your grace. We thank you for your love, Father. We ask that you give us wisdom. Open our hearts to your word this morning. Help it to convict us. Help it to to challenge us. Help it to encourage us. We praise you and honor you. And it's through Christ's name, amen. Psalm 3, verses 1 and 2 says this. This is David speaking. O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him and God. So King David is on the run, as we've mentioned. The very people who should have wanted to protect him, wanted to honor him, wanted to respect him, are the ones chasing after him, trying to kill him. Absalom has talked to these men in advance to betray their very king. And now David is thinking about his enemies. It overwhelms him as he sees that his enemies are multiplying by the second. As David says in verse 1, O Lord, how many are my foes? Many are rising against me. The enemy is all around David. He feels surrounded. He feels trapped. He isn't sure what's going to happen, if he's going to live or if he's going to die. Verse 2 tells us that his enemies go so far that they don't only want to kill him, but they're insulting him, they're taunting him. They say this, the enemy says to David, there's no salvation for you and God, which literally means this, God won't rescue you. He's not going to deliver you, David. God can't help you, David. You're all alone in this. There will be no rescue for you. You are in a hopeless situation, David. Not even God himself can save you now. That's what he's facing. David's in a panic. 
He's in dire straits and real distress. He reminds God of his plight that he's in. He's asking God to see what's happening in the moment. God, I'm in trouble here. I'm about to be overtaken. My enemies are close at hand. They're right on my heels. I'm losing strength. The hunt is almost over, and I'm about to fall prey to them. David is probably battling fear of death, fear of man. I mean, think about it. These people want to kill him. Let me ask us this morning, if we have been in situations where fear was encircling us, encamped all around us, when the worst nightmares seemed to be coming to fruition, when our heart was in a panic, when our chest was tight, when we could barely breathe, have you been there? Who is our Absalom this morning? What does it look like when the enemy encircles you? Most of us aren't facing physical impending death like David from other people wanting to kill him. But we do deal with the fear of man in various situations and circumstances in our day as well. Man can hurt us. Man can shame us. Man can reject us. Man can attack us. Man can manipulate us. But let me say that we have been on both sides of the coin. We are not innocent bystanders in this either because we've been the people sometimes that have been hurting other people. We've rejected other people. We've shamed other people. We are guilty as charged as well. As teens, we call this peer pressure. As adults, we call this codependency or people-pleasing. But biblically, it's just called plain old-fashioned fear of man. Ed Welch, in his book, When People Are Big and God Small, which is a great book for anybody to read, gives us some great statements on the fear of man. So let's look at some of these statements and examine our own hearts to see if we really struggle with the fear of man this morning. The first statement, you may struggle with the fear of man if you're overcommitted. Most people are overcommitted because they can't say no to people. You may struggle with the fear of man if you struggle with peer pressure. You may struggle with the fear of man if self-esteem is a concern to you. Ed Welch says, if self-esteem is a reoccurring theme for you, chances are that your life revolves around what others think of you. You may struggle with the fear of man if you're afraid that one day you'll be exposed as being an imposter. You may struggle with the fear of man if you're easily embarrassed in front of others. You may struggle with the fear of man if you're easily angered or depressed by what others think of you. You may struggle with the fear of man if you get jealous of other people. You may struggle with the fear of man if you're focused on your looks to an extreme where you go from one fad diet to the next. You may struggle with the fear of man if you're trying to always outdo others. This could be in sports. It could be in the business world. It could be in life in general. You may struggle with the fear of man if you have a hard time sharing your faith with others. You may struggle with the fear of man if you get stressed out when conflict arises, when you have a disagreement with somebody else, 
But we can see from the above list that the fear of man is a real issue in our day. It's a universal problem in our society. If you're like me, many of the above statements ring true to you to some extent. This is why. Because fear of man is a human problem. It's a real struggle for us as humans. Which leads to point number one. Fear of man runs deep in the human heart. Point number one says, fear of man runs deep in the human heart. So the question is why is fear of man such a problem? Why do we struggle with the fear of man? Why is this topic such an issue, a problem for us? Well, the answer lies in what, or better yet, who we are loving. Let me say it again. The answer lies in what, or better yet, who we are loving. Turn with me to Mark 12, 30 and 31. Mark 12, 30 and 31. This is Jesus speaking, and he says this. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So we see here that Jesus says to love God and love others the way we love ourselves. Jesus, in other words, what Jesus is saying is the standard he wants us to follow to love God and others is found in the standard that we're already doing in loving ourselves. I bet that shocks a lot of us. Because the last thing I think a lot of us think is that we truly love ourselves. I mean... Some of us look at our lives and think, man, my life has been a colossal failure. It's one mess after the next. Or some of us think that we're under average, at best average Joes. Or some of us are full of guilt and shame because maybe we have some unconfessed sin or some struggles in our past that still we beat ourselves up over. And still some of us struggled with addictions or depression or other issues that we've used. We feel like we've wasted a lot of our time on. And some, and because of these reasons and many more, we feel bad about ourselves, which means we have negative emotions or frustrated feelings about ourselves. And we assume negative emotions reveal that we don't really love ourselves at all. But we conclude just the very opposite that we either really dislike ourselves. Or even hate ourselves. We look in the mirror and we just don't feel good about who we are. So we conclude we must not love ourselves. The problem is when we talk about biblical love, it's not equated to or connected to a feeling or an emotion. I mean, think about it. Jesus says to love your enemy. Love your enemy. This doesn't mean that we must have good feelings for our enemy. No, Christ wants us to love our enemy despite the bad feelings we have about them. Jesus says, if your enemy is thirsty, give them something to drink. If your enemy is hungry, give him something to eat. This has nothing to do with a feeling. It has more to do with an action. 
Jesus commands us to walk through our negative feelings and love our enemy anyway by doing what's good for them, what's best for them. It has more to do with an action, a way of living. Similarly, in Mark 12, 30 and 31, Jesus is saying to love God and your neighbor the way you already love yourself. And again, self-love is not a feeling and emotion, but it's an action. It is how or what we are living for. It is how we live our lives. So Christ is equating self-love to how often we think about ourselves in our own world, if you may. In a typical day, what are we thinking about? What are we thinking about in a typical day? What we're going to do today, what we want, what we need to accomplish, what other family members are doing, what will we eat for lunch, what will we eat for dinner, what will we do after work, what games are the children in, which sports are we going to go to, I hope they do really good in their game tonight, who is coming over, and that, and the list goes on, but who does our thoughts center around? Who are we thinking about? We're thinking about ourselves and our family. Christ is saying the way we focused on our own life and our families have that same focus, that same love for God and others. That's what he's saying. We think about ourselves way more than we think about our neighbors. That's just a fact. That is why Christ tells us to love others the way we love ourselves. Which leads to point number two. Love of self brings on the fear of man. Let me say that again. Love of self brings on the fear of man. So again, our biggest problem with the fear of man is our love for self, the Bible teaches. When I love myself, it causes or worsens my struggle with the fear of man. There are various problems with the fear of man. So, I mean, I know a lot of us may be thinking, well, what's the big deal about struggling with the fear of man? You know, what's the big deal if I have a little bit of a people-pleasing genetic, right? But there are various problems with the fear of man. Let me give us just five problems with the fear of man. Problem number one, fear of man causes us to put our faith in people instead of God. Let me say that again. Fear of man causes us to put our faith in people instead of God. Who are we putting our faith in this morning? Who are we putting our faith in? The faith we're talking about is comparable to what we're depending on. Do we put our faith in our spouse? Are we depending on our spouse? Are we depending on a family member, putting our faith in a family member? Are we putting our faith depending on our child? Are we putting our faith depending on our parents? Or are we putting our faith and depending on God? Turn to Jeremiah 17.5. Jeremiah 17.5. Jeremiah 17.5 says this, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes flesh his strength, whose heart turns away from the Lord. So we see here that fear of man leads to being a people pleaser. We look to man to be our strength instead of God. And Jeremiah tells us that God curses us when we do this. 
Why? Because we focus, we turn our attention, we worship the creation instead of focusing, turning our attention and worshiping the creator. That's the problem. Are we putting our faith in God or are we putting our faith in man? Problem number two, fear of man is a false substitute for trusting in God. Problem number two says fear of man is a false substitute for trusting in God. When we fear man, when we fear man, we stop trusting in God. That's what it says. Proverbs 29, 25, you can just jot this reference down. The fear of man lays a snare, but whoever trusts in the Lord is safe. So literally, literally, this proverb says that the fear of man is a trap for somebody. We get this picture of someone going fishing, right? And before they go fishing, they set their hook. They put the bait on their hook. Then they cast their line out in the water. And the fish sees this tasty morsel and bites down on it. And instantly, the fish is caught. The fish is hooked. The fish is trapped. When we fear man, we are trapped. We are hooked. We are caught because we look to man for our strength instead of God. Problem number three with the fear of man. Fear of man trumps our fear of God. Fear of man trumps our fear of God. Who are we fearing this morning? Are we fearing God or are we fearing man? Proverbs 1 says this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. The proverb here tells us that faith starts with the fear of God. We will either have the right fear of God or we'll have the fear of man. One fear will trump, supersede, take place over the other one. We can't both fear God and man simultaneously. It's impossible. Who are we fearing? Because whoever we're fearing is who we are focused on. Are we focused on God? Are we focused on man? And whoever we are fearing, we're often trying to please. Are we trying to please God or are we trying to please man? Problem number four. Fear of man leads to being controlled by others. Fear of man leads to being controlled by others. We become enslaved to other people's opinion, what they think about us, what they say about us, what they do to us. We we become controlled by other people instead of God. We walk on eggshells as we try to meet everyone's expectations of us. We end up living for people instead of God. And the reason why we're living for people is not an innocent reason because we really are living for ourselves. It's not so much that we love other people. It's that we love ourselves so much that we want people to see us in the right light. It's self-centeredness. It's pride. It's arrogance. The fear of man can look like the person who serves faithfully, diligently, but under it all, they are desperate for man's approval and acceptance. Problem number five, fear of man causes us to need people instead of love them. Fear of man causes us to need people instead of love them. We all have been in situations where someone is being really nice to us because they want something from us. 
they may take us out to lunch or buy us a gift, but one day they ask for a favor and remind us of all the wonderful, glorious things they have done for us, all the dinners and lunches and gifts. There's always strings attached to whatever they are doing to serve other people. Well, when we fear man, it's similar because we no longer freely are able to love people. We need them too much. We become desperate for their approval. So we serve them, and in return, we want, we need, we demand their acceptance and approval of us. So, as we can see, the fear of man is a serious problem. It's a big deal. It's a real issue. The fear of man is sin against God. That means it's a paramount problem. It reveals that we love others more than we love God. And so the question is, what is the remedy? What's the solution? What's the answer to the fear of man? Well, let's go back to our main text to get our answer. And we're in Psalm 3, verses 3 through 5 now. Psalm 3, verses 3 through 5. And this is David. Again, he says this, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud, Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. David takes his eyes off the horizontal, off his enemies. David takes his eyes off his circumstances. David takes his eyes off his problem. David takes his eyes off focusing on himself, and he looks vertically up to the Lord. He focuses his eyes on the Lord. He turns to the Lord. Fear meets faith. Fear of man meets faith, which leads to point number three. The remedy for the fear of man is trust in a big God. Remedy, the remedy for the fear of man is trust in a big God. David trusted in the Lord while others feared man. But this trust in God was a trust that revealed that David had a big, a large, a right, an accurate view of Lord. David knew that God was bigger than his circumstances. David knew that God was bigger than his enemies. David knew that God was bigger than anything he could imagine on this earth. David knew that God was bigger than himself. I wonder if we have a right, accurate, biblical view of God this morning. As we are here this morning, are we depressed? Are we worried? Are we fearful? Are we anger? angry? Is God not bigger than any issue that we're facing right now? Does God tower over the issues of life that we face? Or does our problems tower over God in our minds? What view of God do we have? Is God small and people big in our minds? Well, David gives us three ways to be reminded to trust in the Lord instead of having a fear of man. So we're going to look through Psalm 3, 3 through 5 again. And reminder number one to trust in the Lord is to remember that God is our protector. Reminder number one tells us that it is God who is our protector. I mean, look at Psalm 3, verse 3. David says, you are a shield 
about me. Literally, you are a shield all around me. David knows that God has his back and his front. God is protecting him from every angle. The enemy can't break through. But let's jump down to verse 5. David says, I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. So David says, God protects me when I'm even asleep. David can rest soundly even at the most opportune, vulnerable times where the enemy could actually kill him because he knows that God is his protector in real life, not just in his mind. We may think about God protecting David and others, but Scripture also tells us that God is working to protect us, his children as well. It's just not in the Bible days that he's protecting people. He's doing it now. He knows what we're facing. God knows what is happening in our life. God is still working. He is protecting us still. Are we living like that? Are we living in faith? Reminder number two, to trust in the Lord is to remember that God is working for our good. Reminder number two tells us that God is working for our good. Let's go back to verse three again, and it says this, but you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. So David says that God protects him, which we have discussed just now. And then he goes on, and for this word for glory can also be translated as honor. It can be translated as honor. So David is saying that God is the one that gives him honor. It's not so much that he gets honor himself because he's so wonderful and has all these wonderful gifts. You know, he says, the reason why I have honor is because God is the one who gives it to me. He gets all the glory. Then David says that God lifts my head, which we get a picture of a son who is ashamed and his father comes over and encourages him and turns his shame into confidence in the Lord. God encourages us. He is working for our good. That's why Romans 8, 28, you can just jot it down, says God is working for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. God still encourages us. He is there. He is working for his glory and our good. What ways is God blessing us right now that we aren't noticing, that we're ignoring because we're focused on the problems? What ways is God using the issues of life to grow us, mature us in Christ? Are we walking with God? Are we listening to his word? Are we following his ways? He wants what's best for us, but the problem is often we are the ones that turn our backs on him. We stop reading his word. We stop praying. We start harboring bitterness and unforgiveness and anger. It's us. It's not God. Reminder number three, to trust in the Lord is to remember that God answers our prayers. Reminder number three says that God answers our prayers. Verse four, let's go to Psalm 3 verse 4. And David says this, I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. So God responds to David's prayer. We can look at David and see that he's in continual communion with the Lord. As a shepherd boy, he's depending on the Lord, living for the Lord. As king over all Israel, he's living and depending on the Lord. He spends time with God. When life is going good, he spends time with God. When life is going bad, 
He's communing with God all the time. He's not just using God when problems arise. He has a real living, breathing relationship with, Christ, with God. Are we depending on the Lord when troubles arise? Are we depending on the Lord when blessings come our way? Or do we forget about God when things are running smooth? Are we praying about all situations and circumstances? James tells us that the prayer of a righteous person is powerful and effective. This reminds us that God answers the prayers of the righteous today as well. We must be in communion with the Lord through good and bad times. God hears the prayers of his righteous children, those who are walking with him. But some of us, I know, have a hard time praying to the Lord. I know in, in a, probably a few minutes, I'll be concluding this sermon and I'll pray. And as I pray, everyone will close their eyes and people will start thinking about where are we going to go for lunch after church? What are we going to eat? Who are we going to go with? We got to figure this out. We should have thought about it earlier, but now I'm thinking about it now during the prayer. Our mind naturally starts wandering. It happens, I know. So I would suggest that we try to pray out loud, to start praying out loud to God. When we pray out loud, it keeps our mind on track, engaged, and it helps us to focus on who we are talking to. We're talking about the Lord of the universe. Well, David ends this psalm in Psalm 3, verses 6 through 8 by saying this, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves up against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessings be on your people. So David turns from fear of man, fear of death, to trust in the Lord, confidence in the Lord. His mind is focused and filled up with a big view of God, which leads to point number four. Faith in Christ causes us to walk through the fear of man. Faith in Christ causes us to walk through the fear of man. David's fear was met with faith. I wonder if we're walking in faith when the fear of man arises within us. Are we learning to walk through our fear of man to honor and glorify God? Well, in conclusion, some of us for a long time have made people big and God small. Many of us have lived under the bondage of the fear of man. We have been desperate for people's approval. We have struggled with jealousy. We've needed people more than we've been able to actually love them. Worst of all, many of us have been more fearful of people than God. We have worried more about what other people think than what God thinks. We've trusted in men more than trusting and walking with our almighty, sovereign Lord. God's word says, David, as he speaks, should encourage us. He says, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves up against me all around. Let me say that with us in mind. We will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves up all around us. We can repent of the fear of man today and walk in faith 
in the Lord Jesus Christ. God is greater than our fears. God is bigger than our sin. God's grace through the blood of Christ calls us to himself this morning. He reconciles sinners like us who are insecure, fearful, and selfish, and gives us grace through faith and repentance. May we be a people, may we be a church who walks in the fear of God, in the love of God, in the faith of God, instead of walking in the fear of man. Let's go to our Lord in prayer. Holy Father, we thank you, we praise you. We thank you for how gracious you are to us, Lord. We recognize that the fear of man is a real issue in many of our lives. And often we've hidden behind psychology instead of dealing with them from a biblical perspective. I ask that you give us wisdom in dealing with how often we are controlled by man. How often we're looking to be appreciated and approved instead of walking in faith and wanting your approval and your approval alone, Father. We recognize we're a mess. We recognize our families are often really struggling. And we see, I even see, even in my children, some of the struggles that I have, I start seeing them play them out in their own lives, Father. So I ask that you help us as men and women to walk in love and humility and grace and depend on you for our strength instead of depending on man. It's through your son we pray. Amen.